0: I'm Ryan, the other guy's Jordan, and this is Two Angles on Angling.
1: back to another episode of two angles on angling this is jordan with my co-host it's ryan guys what's up welcome everyone and we are in another similar start to an episode Yeah, it's like broken record at this point. yeah dude. uh with very little fishing info um ryan i believe this might i, I fished more than you this past week or no you, you actually did dude. i did wow and i only went <laughs> once i only went once uh, I went ice fishing yesterday, uh, which we, I tried to go uh, with my buddy Scott Gold at least once a year, and uh, we did end up getting out uh, pretty early on in the day. I think it was like 30 minutes or so, honestly, after we set up the hut, uh, I was ripping a uh, little Rapala, like ripping rap, like looking uh, lipless bait, and hit the bottom, ripped it up once before it hit the bottom again, just an aggressive, just, and I'm like, alright, and then caught my first uh, bass of the year, a nice largemouth, nice no, nothing crazy but it was a, a great experience nonetheless, dropped it down in the hole, dropped the bait down shortly after, got hit again lost it went a while, ended up catching a perch just on a waxy and uh, it was slow from there on out, but hey the uh the first bass of the year is had and uh I am stoked about that. And first perch of the year, I'll take that as well. A lot of species done so far <laughs> so far this year in the uh what what's today's date? February fifth. So yeah, yeah I- I'm I'm doing pretty good compared to every other year. So pretty happy with that. Uh besides that, I don't have any uh input fishing wise other than if you live around here, you should know that everything is just completely messed up. Uh, if you've driven by the river any time recently and seen the giant chunks of ice, uh, yeah. the canal uh, frozen over now, just all of that. And the crazy weather we've had, it's just nothing. Uh, there's not much else that you're going to be able to get out and do besides ice fish if there's, well, now, if there's even safe ice uh, with how it's warming up again. so, Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, so we, just so everybody listening to this knows, like, we put, we try to put these out every week on Sundays. Um, some some weeks we'll do it on Saturdays, depending on, but the bottom line is the day that we publish it is the day that we recorded it. Like, we're not editing anything. It's just getting mm-hmm. uploaded and, and put out. So, you know, it's Sunday when we're recording this, mid-morning, almost noon. And, uh, yeah, to your point, dude, like I didn't fish at all this past week. I, I, uh, like the river got clear enough to fish Tuesday and Wednesday, but man, I mean, those days it was like the, the highs weren't even out of the teens Thursday, right. the highs were in the, like the lowest, the, like the single, single digits. digits,
1: it was frigid. Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know we've had a lot of huge wind too. Like we had massive northwest wind with that that huge uh, that that those super cold temperatures. So I mean the bottom line, like Lake Erie's trash, the river's trash. I mean, you and I before the podcast uh, went to Niagara Falls, like the state park actually took some pictures from there. Um, yeah, and the water's like a greenish brown. It's I mean it, it could be fished right now, but there's a lot of ice flow in the yeah. system. The ice flow is because of. Water temperature is still 35, maybe 36 degrees in Lake Erie. Um, that ice flow is because when the water gets that cold, that fast, or that cold period, mm-hmm. the like <clears throat> surface, the like the surface of the water will start creating slush. It's not like it's making sheets of ice. Yeah, it's just the surface is freezing, especially if there's wind. Like wind will expose more more it'll create more surface area you know and like thin out the water and 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 causing it quicker right so it'll freeze faster slush forms that slush flows downstream and starts to congeal and aggregate into larger and larger chunks so yesterday like most of east river was like bank to bank ice Mm. um and then you you and I went out this morning. East River's pretty much ice clear. Yeah, and My there's own chunks. yeah, like the, the there's very little uh, ice below the falls, like at, at Niagara Falls, and then you know down by the whirlpool, there was some collecting in the whirlpool, yeah. but you know a lot of it was just continuing to wash out downstream. Um, but you know we got huge. We got another you know so yeah now it, as we were driving around it was 45 46 degrees yeah. outside and like 2 days ago it was 5 you know so it's and the wind's blowing again you know I was hoping <laughs> yeah, there was going to be a real a,
1: constant theme
0: yeah i was hoping <laughs> there was going to be a, a a period of stability out cuz it usually after it gets that cold it, that's what happens and looking forward to this upcoming week there may be a little bit of it especially towards the end of the week Oh wait, one thing I forgot. Like oh, yeah. so, on um, I know my buddy Matt fished on Wednesday in uh, Lower Niagara. Just went out and fun fished because it's just pretty too cold, too cold to take clients out on that stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and they they did very well, very well, which is encouraging. Because oh, wow. um, it was the, like the first day like, that I'd seen water that was super clear. I don't know when it's going to be clear again. Just looking at it this upcoming week, I think by the time we get to the weekend. It's possible for it to be clear. However, Sunday's got more north winds and another temperature drop, or Saturday does, and then uh, Sunday might be Sunday might be possible. Saturday's if the forecast sticks the way it's forecasted now, or sticks the way it shows now, yeah, north winds in the 20s on the lower when the tw- air temperatures like in the teens or 20s, it'll feel like it's four or five degrees outside. That would make it tough.
1: Yeah, but enjoyable. You know,
0: days. in the end, I'm sure a lot of like the the walk and Wade side of things too, like got super locked up with how cold it got. And yeah,
1: then, the, when we drove back from ice fishing, we were passing a bunch of creeks, and there, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were they'll probably animals. thaw
0: over the next few days because you know we at least we have some warmer temperatures until yeah, and a next lot of weekend. sunlight Right now, yeah. as well. So yeah, there just hasn't been uh hasn't been much to be able to do. So I've uh, I've just been you know same things that have been going on, but. Uh,
1: I'm going to dive into the the fishing show. Yeah. yeah real the, quick, that's I was, I was actually a looking at that and, the other day. And, yeah. That's yeah. a recap and kind of looking forward for us here as well. So um, February 16th through the 19th at the Niagara Falls Convention Center, there is the Niagara Fishing Expo. And I will have a booth there, booth 106 for JDO Lure Co., I will be selling Nedrig heads, the very same ones that Ryan uses yep. uh, when fishing the upper, the lower eerie. I will be, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, selling swim bait heads, uh, a few different kinds. Ones for bigger swim baits. Ones more for smallmouth, more finesse style uh, presentations. I'll be selling tube jig heads as well and I will have a whole host of, uh, weedless jigs, skipping jigs, flipping jigs, swim jigs, football jigs, uh, and some bladed jigs for the bass guy, for the more large mouth oriented bass guys there as well. Um, but a lot of the jig heads are very multi-species. I will have a lot of good weights. I'll be going from 16th up to five eighths. Uh, I'll have a, small selection of weights available as well, the ones that Ryan and I use often, the the uh three quarter and the one ounce ones. Uh so if you have a small to...
0: selection of those dudes should definitely get their hands on them while they can. Because those are without a doubt the best weights for like late season stuff on the lake. You know, when you're fishing the deepest water, you need that heavier stuff. And you yeah. can use it on the bar. Like those are just super versatile for You know, fall through spring fishing.
1: Yeah, and I will also have some uh, five-eighths ounce drop shot weights, the cylinder ones for uh, you know fishing in grass and stuff, and drop shotting. And because we cannot, I cannot sell them lighter than that in New York because they're made of lead. If you if you need it lighter, take side cuts to it and uh, make it lighter. So uh, have those available as well. We will have a bunch of new merch uh hats new shirts ryan you can see you've seen the one that i'm wearing now this is the new shirt coming out looks good thank you thank you uh stickers for jdo and two angles on angling and yeah the new site will be launched by then so i'll be happy to uh share that with everyone when that comes out and it'll be on the show notes here as well but beyond that beyond the business side of things there more for the show as well as i'm doing two seminars One on Friday and one on Saturday. I do not recall the times exactly right now because I know they just recently got uh, slightly changed. But if you go to the Niagara Fishing Expo website, they have all that lined up. But I will be doing a seminar on finesse bodied baits for bass. And it's oriented mainly towards the western New York smallmouth fishing that we do and into the Saint Lawrence region, it applies as well. Obviously, some of it will apply to largemouth too. Which, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is a little great crossover. But I, I've put a lot of effort and time into it, and had people review it, and uh, I think it'll be very in- informational for people who are in bass fishing who want to maybe learn more about how to fish, fish finesse styles, and uh, for newcomers as well, because fishing finesse works for everything and uh, if you want to catch a big smallmouth around here knowing how to finesse fish is uh, is crucial so everyone feel free to stop into that uh, and listen to that on Friday or Saturday and after those events I will be on the fish tank the hog trough demonstrating the one of the baits and then I will come down and then talk about it a little more in depth so... Uh probably we'll choose the Ned rig to go over more in depth because as, it's what we're using more times than not when we're fishing for smallmouth. So, uh, I'll probably dissect that a bit more for you guys. And the very heads that I'm showing you there, you will be able to come pick up right at the booth. Uh, same with the seminar, all the swim bait heads I'm showing you in there, you can come pick up at the booth, uh, tube jig heads and such, so on. So I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, Coming up quick, and I, I'm still making lures for it, trying to get prepared. I'm not entirely sure what to expect traffic-wise because it's been two years since the show's happened. I've never done an expo this big for my for selling my lures. So it, it'll be a cool learning yeah. experience and a lot of great networking and connections. So uh, look forward to seeing everyone there. Feel free to stop by. If you listen to the podcast, Let let me know, please. Yeah. It's great to hear that. Uh, we'll have the stickers there yet again but it's a uh, yeah I- i'm looking forward to it man it's a uh, a big step in the right direction
0: yeah i mean there's 4 days dude i mean people should definitely go yeah just to... and there's
1: there's and even beyond me there's so much to learn there yeah there's, w- there's a lot of different there's, yeah.
0: there's a lot of different stuff that's going on there it's it's uh it's absolutely worthwhile for people to go in and check out i mean the ex- the exhibitors are there yeah you know, it's, it, it is a weird, uh, it's a weird dynamic, right? Like the uh, exhibitions in general, it's like, so people pay to, to set booths up and, and then some people are recruited for, to, to give seminars and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you have guys in there hoping that they're going to generate some business off of it. It's kind of like they're, they're all local. And it's kind of like a farmer's market, right? Yep. You know, like you want to, you want to buy local and support local people. Yep. Well then, yeah, you got to leave your house and uh, yeah. you got to meet local people and do it. I mean, that's the value of, of it. It's, it's, it's a community thing. I mean, it's yeah, the very much so. Niagara outdoor expo. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's regional. I mean, there'll be people from, you know, probably some of the Midwest states too, I'd imagine, but yeah. in general, it'll be local. So you come in and show your support for local people, and I think you might be surprised what which, yeah. which you'll see there.
1: They they usually so. have uh, some companies that are based out of Ohio and stuff yeah. as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a great time just regardless. Going around, there's everything that, that you would want to, like, really look at or learn about. You can there. Um and you will run into a lot of knowledgeable people. A lot of the people running the seminars will stay after and talk with you about whatever you need to. If you have questions, uh, it's just a very yeah. social thing. So if, if you're into fishing or wanting to get more into it, it's, it's the place to go. And it, regardless, get out of the house for a bit and go there. Yeah, it's exactly. a great change of pace. That's like and the, it's the, the winter. There's thing. not a lot going on out happening now. Football's wrapping up here out go to this it'll be a it'll be a blast totally agree i'll be there
0: uh definitely stop in thursday and friday um i don't know like i'm booked that saturday we'll see if i'm able to fish and then sunday um, i fly out to take off for vacation so but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it hopefully seeing some people that i haven't seen in a while
1: so for sure, for sure. So we have a few things planned for this episode for our deeper side of things. And how did you wanna? How did you wanna attack it, Ryan?
0: Um. Well, uh, let's start with uh, the the stocking conversation because yeah. it, it it can be a quick one. It's just kind of a, a bullet point, okay, or a for series sure. of things that I wanna points that I want to get out there or questions that I want to ask. I've had you and I talked about this a little bit before we did the podcast and um, I had a longer conversation with one of my friends about it uh, yesterday and the day before. Um, okay, so let's let's go back a ways just to tell the story of of salmon and just general stocking. I'm not going to get super into it just in the 1860s, a pelagic herring showed up in the Great Lakes, an invasive species called the owl wife, okay? Showed up in Lake Ontario. but It's in all the Great Lakes, you know, in, in various numbers. But Lake Ontario is unique and interesting because um, it's real deep, and uh, there, is, there there's some shelves and there's major tributaries that feed into it, right? So... Um, to combat these invasive species, because there'd be huge fish kills. And I can even remember as young as like when I was in the 80s, like in the early 80s, man, I was, uh, you'd every once in a while in super cold winters where you'd have like ice flow, like down East River where, near where I lived, like you'd see like, almost bank to bank massive numbers of owl wives and, floating downstream, like huge fish kills. Um, and there used to be huge fish kills on, you know, they'd wash up on beaches. You can Google pictures of this, but anyway, that's why we, so eventually scientists got together. They decided to stock King salmon, follow, you know, coho's later steelhead and brown trout. Um, but they, they stock these things to combat invasives. And then they, you know, the King is the main eater of the owl wife supposedly, and, The other three fish just add diversity to the system, so they're all stocked, okay? Um, Now, depending on where you read, I don't know the answer to this question, but depending on who you listen to, where you read it, and the information is scant because there hasn't been much research on it, there's some level of natural reproduction that takes place from all these fish, meaning they'll run up the rivers to spawn, lay eggs. Those eggs get fertilized, fry will hatch. And actually live and they'll make it okay mm-hmm. people claim that this happens uh very frequently in a bunch of places the info like the actual real data on it like how much it actually happens is questionable to say the least um politically motivated in some instances i think where the, those numbers come from but in the end why should the reproduction actually work like this is not their native environment salmon are from the pacific northwest steelhead are from the pacific northwest brown trout are from we've had this conversation a yeah. couple of weeks ago iceland you know the uk basically like that that kind of northern shelf around the nordic countries area uh into north like northern europe and the Caucasus. so they shouldn't be able to survive if they can great you know but th- that's that's they're they're there to eat owl wives, supposedly and create more diversity okay so Beyond that, uh, so all these things are stocked, right? And they're stocked based on some sort of distribution plan at various points throughout uh, Lake Ontario. King salmon are stocked, and there's some overlap, right? But the king salmon are, are stocked in a bunch of tribs. Brown trout are stocked on some of the same tribs and then some additional tribs. Steelhead are stocked on some of the same tri- tribs and additional ones, and then Lakers, same thing. Okay. Now, the general methodology for the numbers stocked and how, uh, where, like the numbers by location, there's allegedly some science behind this, right? I've dug deep, and and I, I think a lot of it's questionable. And I, and, and I, I want to be on record saying that I think a lot of it's questionable, but it's tough for me to go against the scientists without or like to, to have an informed debate with scientists without diving deeply into the data, being educated about that. Like, essentially, I just have to have faith. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm fine for the purposes of, of where I'm going to go with this conversation. I'm fine placing faith in the scientist, the environmental scientist part of the stocking program. Okay, now, in the end, though, these fish are stocked in Lake Ontario based on a number. There's a certain number of kings, and that number of kings uh, is spread out in a bunch of locations. There's a certain number of brown trout, and those are spread out in a bunch of locations. And same thing with steelhead, same thing with lake trout. Okay. the distribution or why they're stocked in those locations is questionable. like at best there isn't a justification put out for most of it. And so uh, what I want to do going forward like for the rest of this conversation is, okay, now we know we get we're almost entirely stocked mm-hmm. every year, there's going to be a fixed number of fish stocked by species, okay? Or there's not fixed, that's the wrong way of phrasing it. Every year there's going to be a number.
1: Yes, yeah, they're not going to
0: add more like after that number is put in. Every year there's going to be a number. And that number of fish is distributed based on some ratio. So if you have uh talking about king salmon, for example, the king salmon are stocked in seven rivers throughout Lake Ontario on the US side. And the distribution is not 14.2% per river, right? Which would be an even distribution. I'm going to like go over that distribution here in a minute, but if it was an even distribution amongst creeks and systems, it would be 14.2%, right? That's seven, that's a hundred divided by seven, something along those lines, a little over 14%. That's how everybody would be getting the fish, but that's not how we're getting the fish, right? So, and the reason for that, is not really explained in depth anywhere, anywhere which leads me to believe that the decision is political to some extent like by political i mean some regional representative or group of people or a faction has gotten together and lobbied loudly to have a number and they've gotten that whereas other other areas have been shafted right and received less because they were less loud or there was something else preventing it from happening. Okay. So first and foremost, uh, a lot of people, if you're active on social media and the fishing communities around here, you've seen that uh, Lake Ontario or they, I'm, I'm putting this in air quotes. The DEC published the 2023 Chinook stocking numbers recently, like at the end of January. Okay. What I'm putting the DEC published in air quotes is that I've seen this all over Facebook um, and, and, and some, to some extent on, on social media. A bunch of people are posting this, um, that we're get, we actually got an increase uh, of 10 percent. How that happens, okay, supposedly the outwife population is bigger. Again, I'm taking the science away from it. I just want to talk about the ratios. I think the science is very important but I don't have another scientist in here to have this debate with. I just want to have a rational discussion about ratios. Um, So Lake Ontario is getting more Kings in 2023. Great. Here's what the distribution of stocking is. Okay. And this is just off of the posts that I've seen as a quick, like side note to this. I went through the DEC's website and on there, nowhere on the DEC's website does the DEC, or did the DEC formally publish that increase? I didn't see it anywhere. The only place that I've actually seen it are the minutes of the Lake Ontario Fishery Advisory Panel meeting from January 17th, 2023 at Holiday Inn in Webster uh, on that day. January 17th, 2023 at the Holiday Inn in Webster, the Lake Ontario Fishery Advisories Panel. There's an agenda that's hung on the DEC's website. And in there, somebody took the minutes of that and published these new stocking numbers, okay? I don't know if that's an official DEC number or not. You know, I just know that people have been sharing it all over the internet, like it's gospel. And I don't know for sure whether or not it's gospel because I haven't seen it in anything that says this is official. It just, there's a bunch of people saying that it is, but it's not something directly from the DEC saying that it is, okay?
1: What a lot of people are
0: mentioning though, Uh, that using as a reference doc is there is a lake ontario salmon and trout stocking strategy from 2022 to 2026 that's their strategy and i'll put that in the show notes in there that's a dec document and in there they discuss the stocking numbers from 2022 to 2026 okay so the 2022 to 2026 numbers are a different ratio and I'll go through this in, in a minute, uh, what those are going to be. So do you have any questions at this point, man? Do you understand where
1: I'm going with I, this? I do. We did glaze over this earlier as well a bit, so I, I'm I'm okay on par with everything so far. Okay. Yes. So
0: ju- just to summarize, random posts in a bunch of different locations on social media stating that the, 20, that the DEC came out with 2023 stocking numbers. Yep. Although I was not able to find it on anything other than a fishery advisory panel, minutes. I haven't seen anything official come out of the DEC. I'm not seeing it anywhere, but allegedly we're getting more kings, 10% more, okay? Fact number one. Fact number two, there is a ratio of king salmon, steelhead, brown trout, lake trout, and coho salmon stocking spread across a bunch of tributaries of Lake Ontario. Every tributary gets a certain amount every year. And that certain amount is based off of a ratio. There is a let, let's say that in 2023 not let's say here's the, here's the first number in 2023 we are getting Uh, the Chinook salmon distribution is as well. Actually I'll give you the total number and then I'll talk through the, uh, the actual distributions. So the total number of King salmon coming to Lake Ontario in 2023 is 985,180 fish. Okay. That's how much it's, that's, that's how much Lake Ontario is getting. 985,180 fish. Okay. The distribution of those is as follows 89,930 for the Niagara. I'm not going to go through all the numbers specifically, yeah. but 89K in the Niagara, 18 mile Oak Orchard, the Genesee, and Oswego River all get over 126,000. So let me just say that again the Niagara River gets 89,000, the 18 Oak, Jenny, and Oswego get 126,000 the salmon river gets 300,000 and then sackett's harbor harbor black river gets 89k same as us okay so when i first saw the, so, so this is the distribution of kings mm-hmm. okay steelhead all those creeks get steelhead and then some okay uh and same thing with brown trout mm-hmm. It's a couple of these creeks that don't get brown trout but um, but they're all put into Lake Ontario off of a distribution very similar to that, okay? So my first question is, how the hell did those numbers even – the distribute? I don't care. The, the, the total number of, you know, 900 and was it? The 985,000 number. I don't, that number is supposedly based off of an adaptive stocking strategy, right? Meaning, like, the, the DEC goes out there every year and they sample for bait and they figure out that there's X number of bait in the system, and then they say that, okay, only this number of kings could be introduced because there's a limited amount of bait, right? There's some sort of ratio in science there. I, my, my point behind all that is that's what they're saying. I'm not doubting that that's what they're doing in sampling. What I'm saying is, is I don't know how accurate that is. Just from a, being a dude who's out there fishing all the time, I don't know how accurate it is. But I don't care. I'm, I'm willing to accept the fact that based on budget – Based on a a constraint, because budget is a constraint, so based on a constraint, what New New York State can commit to for the next bunch of years is something like 985,000 kings. Okay, got it. If that's the fixed number, roger that. So now I'm going to – if you go down to the distribution of those fish, though, why the hell (laughs) does the Niagara River get 9% – the eight, 18, Oak, the Jenny, and Oswego all get 12%. So that's like 50% of the total stocking is between those yeah. four rivers. The Salmon River gets 30% of all the fish. And then Sackett's Harbor Here over in the us, east, they, they get the same as us. Yeah. So where did those numbers come from? Like how did that distribution occur? Right. Okay. And I've been I've been like making some phone calls and trying to figure this out. And first and foremost, with the DEC, with their one line uh, to accommodate for this, and I want to read it directly off of uh, off of their site. Hold on. No, that's not it. They had a they had a, a they have a great quote on one of their um on one of their reports. And I'll try to find it later. But wait, hold on, Chinook's salmon. Okay, desired or uh, fishery, fisheries management philosophy. This is under Kings Chinook salmon provide the primary fishery in Lake Ontario and are an important component of the fall tributary fishery. Okay. That, my friends, is based on who? Who made, like, doesn't have to be. That. Is it based on the number, the amount of income that all Great Lakes bordering towns generate? They, uh, is it because of kings? Is that what we're saying? Or are, are we saying that we built it so they came? Or are they coming strictly for kings? Are they coming to fish just Lake Ontario? Like, why like where does that claim come from that Chinook salmon provide the primary fishery? Because basically what that is saying is that our resource allocation is going to lead heavy on toward kings, because kings are the main draw to Lake Ontario. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm does the fish lend itself to being that way? Sure. Whatever. But okay. So that's just one thing I think is worth questioning because some people want to come here and catch huge brown trout. Yeah. You know, some people want to catch here and catch cohos. I mean, arguably cohos you can catch more of and their meat tastes better and they cook better than a king, you know, and I don't think that's even up for debate. And most people that really eat fish as circles, like they would rather, you know, maybe it is, it's, it's subjective, but whatever. Um, Lots of people like giant lake trout. You know, people come from all over the planet to go fish superior for giant lake trout. You know, people can come here to fish kings. They can fish a whole diversity of creatures, but whatever. But for whatever reason, our DEC is calling, and it's because it's people have lobbied for this, Chinook salmon provide the primary fishery. Okay, so that's just some of the background there. Kings are the boss for Lake Ontario. So all decisions that we make in stocking should be really focused on kings. Okay, so, okay, I got it. So why is the lower Niagara only getting 9%? And desired outcome of Chinook salmon stocking provided sufficient adult returns to the Salmon River Hatchery so that Chinook salmon egg take targets can be met for all Lake Ontario stocking sites. Now that bullet means that, so that's the justification of why the Salmon River gets 300,000 fish in every 30% of the stocking and why the other, uh, the others get way less. So the justification there is that the hatchery is there. So we need a lot of fish to come up this river so we can harvest their eggs and bring them into the hatchery and grow more salmon so we can distribute it around the state. Okay. I got it. You really need 30% of them? I, I, has somebody asked that question? Like, do we really know the actual number that they should be, that, that they would need to sustain uh regional like great lakes like not new york state great lake harbors or wherever however we're distributing these things district or tributary fishing however we're going to distribute these things do they really need 30 percent right and is that the logical place for the hatchery is the hatchery methodology even something worth i mean these are like way larger questions Mm -hmm. but i think the more easier near-term question is I mean is it is it it seems really convenient that the hatchery is close to Albany and, and uh about as close to New York City as you can be um it's real close to Albany where the state capital where the DEC works and the all the leadership of our state is there um it's centrally located I guess you know, so people can come from the Northeast and people can come from the Midwest to go there. There could be some arguments there, but it's certainly not the ideal habitat. Like yeah. the lower Niagara would be the place. But whatever, it's done, it's built. And I think those are, are questions worth asking. But the more immediate thing is, do you really need 30%? Show me that you got all these numbers of showing what the owl wife populations are. Show me the numbers behind the 30%. I think that's a reasonable question to ask. I also wonder then, because then you go to the second bullet is provide a minimum of one staging and tributary fishery within each of the four Lake Ontario fishery management areas. So west, which is the area that we occupy, 18 Mile Creek is the primary. West central is the Jenny. East central is Oswego. And east is the Salmon River. Okay. So we want some staging area. So fish can run up eighteen mile, like so they're gonna get the bulk. Like eighteen mile is the priority creek. Who who made that call? I don't, yeah, I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. did? And, and so I'll get there in a second. Eighteen mile is, is the priority, which is why they get, you know, twelve uh, <laughs> percent. And then it says provide additional staging in tributary areas at Niagara River, Oak Orchard, and the Black River. Okay, so that's the third bullet. As an additional, it's kind of, it's kind of like a Niagara River, you're a sidebar. Um, and uh, Oak Orchard, I mean, it should be a sidebar, but the Niagara River, you're a sidebar. So th- this is the main thing that I've, that I've been trying to understand, is that how, how is the Niagara... It's a major
1: fish. Yeah, how is
0: it a sidebar? I don't understand, like, uh, I mean, you could just... I mean, Lake Ontario wouldn't have water in it without the Niagara. Like, th- that's that's the what that that is the source of water for the lake i mean it's a, it's a massive volume of water flowing through there that can support incredible amounts of life um so i don't understand how it got pushed to the side i mean i can't imagine what the lower niagara would look in fish right if we got three hundred thousand kings like the salmon river did i can't imagine what that would be like it would be crazy Um, what our runs would be like. And and they would have a a much bigger area. If there is some natural reproduction that takes place, there's far less room and opportunity for predation. Like, it just seems like a far more uh, adaptable environment. But, okay, again, we're dealing with the infrastructure concerns that we've already built out this whole hatchery concept around the Salmon River. So all I'm arguing for is where does this distribution make sense? How the hell did 18-mile – get such a big distribution. How did the Oak get a bigger distribution than us? You know why? Because there's safe harbors there where charter captains operate, big boat charter captains who operate of Newfane, who operate out of the Oak. And so mm. they don't want to drive all the way to, ba- they don't want to drive all the way to the Niagara. That burns a lot of gas, man. You know, <laughs> like if they could just go out their front door and go for it, that's what they want to do. That's one reason why, right? Um, there's tournament headquarters for Lake Ontario salmon tournaments are based in those locations. So, I mean, as you start, like, exploring this, it's, it gets it, – that distribution becomes politically motivated. It's not scientific. There's, there's, no, there's no mantle of science behind it. Like, it's, it's politically motivated based on who's got the loudest voice and, and how could they lobby for a greater distribution. And somehow the Niagara got shafted. Now, the other thing, too, that I'll say is that what somebody from these other locations that receive higher percentages than the Niagara would, might say is that, well, you don't have the capacity to store more fish. And I'm like, yeah, right now, you're right. If anybody's and this should piss off local people. That's the, uh, the thing that I, the, if, if there's anything that I want to come out of this, it's just to make sure that the general public walks away thinking about this and is educated about what happens here and, and, and ultimately can leave this conversation knowing that we don't, it doesn't have to be this way. Like you can change it by becoming active. All right. And the bottom line is in the lower Niagara do we, are we limited in capacity to stock kings? Right now, yes. And I would say is, it's because we've allowed ourselves to get this way. Mm-hmm. And the way that we stock kings in the lower and steelhead is we have a holding pen for them. That holding pen is an old slip, like an old boat slip in uh, the uh, Youngstown Yacht Club in that marina area. There's an old boat slip in there that doesn't get used. And we put nuts in there and dump the kings in there, rear and the steelhead, rear them till they smolt, and then we let them go. Okay. And they go offshore and they do their thing and come back. But we're limited by just that boat slip. Alcott, so 18 mile, and the oak orchard, they have huge rearing pens. So they built up these pens. We could just build those pens. We could build those. We have so much storage space. We could build huge pens in rear, and it can make it a huge tourist attraction on the, as part of the, the lower Niagara, especially if done in, in partnership with like Lewiston or the village of Youngstown or yeah, something like sure. that. We yeah. could build out an amazing amount of capacity if we wanted to. We just need the money for it. But what we're limited by now, uh, the reason why we we have less fish is because we've been <laughs> limited by capacity and uh imagination and i think it's unfortunate and it doesn't have to be this way so getting excited about a 10% increase is interesting and all you know like it's like it make okay yeah i'm, I'm happy to, that the lake in total is getting 10% more but we're still getting the shaft here man the days of, of going into Devil's Hole in, in the fall and, and boating 12 easily like it was when I first came in in 2000, first started chartering in 2016, that just doesn't, that doesn't that's not a thing anymore. And the reason why is because the lake in general is stocked less fish, but the distribution doesn't favor the Niagara. And uh, it should, especially in these lean times especially when it gets lean. And we could go into any number of reasons of why it should be that way. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I've been going on for a while, dude, and I'm sorry, but it's just something that sure. I've yeah. been thinking about for a while. And the DEC will be at uh at the show, at the expo. So yeah, think about true. this and you know, hopefully uh you know, and then you could, oh the the one other thing too that makes this even more problematic, so then you we have less fish around, right uh, because the state's stocking less mm-hmm. yep, and this happens in the bass community as well as the salmon community. they hold tournaments during periods where the fish are the most vulnerable and uh the logic behind doing that is because you know i'm you can't have an awesome tournament unless you're catching huge numbers of awesome, you know, of big fish all the time. It's like, I mean, yeah, you can, like you totally can. Yeah. Um, You know, it, in, like there's, there's all numbers. There's any number of ways of doing that and it, in the end, it doesn't benefit. It's not a net benefit to the fishery to host a tournament. Like you, somebody would really have, there. there might be a net benefit to the economy
1: yeah, yeah, uh,
0: may, to, to the local economy. Sure. And I don't know how much of one there is, but there is some. There's like, you know, five days maybe of ho- – four or five days of hotel stays maybe. And we're not talking about a lot of money, dude. But there aren't like hundreds of thousands of people showing up. Yeah, like yeah, n- n- nowhere not close for Not to- event. Right. Yeah. It's, n- it's nowhere close to that. It's something yeah. – it's not something to like snuff your like, – like, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's not huge either. Let's not delude ourselves on it. Yeah. Across the season with tourist attractions and stuff like that, it's just way bigger. It pales in comparison. But it still has an impact, so I'm not pushing it to the side. But it doesn't, it's not great for the fishery. <laughs> if anything, it's just detrimental to the fishery to, to have tournaments like that because it brings more people uh, in wanting to, to keep catching fish. You know, you can bring more and more crowds in, and then it increases fish mortality when you do it during these vulnerable periods. You know, Have it any other time, sure, but with the Kings – they do the the LOC Derby starts, I think, May 4th or something like that this year and goes, to like, 10 days or something like that. I've never competed in it. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. But that time of year, Kings are all in the freaking warm water plume of the Niagara. You know, they're in pretty shallow water. They're not super spread out. They're very concentrated and can be caught in ridiculously high numbers. You know, and so the population gets crushed right at the beginning of the season. And I'm not a full-time Lake Ontario guy. I fish all over it, like Erie and Ontario and the lower and the upper. I'm like, I trailer my boat. Mm -hmm. But if I was confined on Lake Ontario, like I'd be pissed about doing, about tournaments happening at the beginning of the season. Yeah. You know, I, I only hate it because there's just so much boat traffic out there. But you know, if I was a Lake Ontario captain I'd be pissed about the fact that you do a tournament right at the beginning of the season when they're most vulnerable and you shatter the population for the year if you're going to do a tournament like do it in the summertime, you know um where the fish are a little bit harder to catch and more spread out then you really see who's got skill um, you know it's same thing with uh with the bass fishing tournaments like you do a, you do a tournament in June, like dude your fish are on beds man so you're just your bed plucking i mean come on it, you know. <laughs> It's uh, but that that's people don't consider that when it comes to, to tournament scheduling. You know, I'm again, I am not a hater mm-hmm. of tournaments. I'm a hater of tournaments when they occur during periods when the fish are the most vulnerable. Yeah, you know, um, it's just because it attracts way too much attention, and and it's and, and here's the thing, dude. On a lot of those king salmon tournaments, like they're killing fish. Neat, like they're all the fish are killed, and they're not eating them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not going back into the system. Yeah. You know, they're getting pulled out of the fishery and killed and mostly just thrown into a grinder. They're not even eaten. Why? That's crazy. You That's know?
1: atrocious, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. But...
0: I don't know dude it's yeah. I apologize for the long rant but it's been oh, no, yeah. it's been on my mind a lot lately and uh, I think I am seeing people get excited on social media about a 10% stocking increase and I'm like look man you're 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 missing the forest for the trees here like you're missing the much larger issue there's bigger fish to
1: fry yeah. Ryan nice buddy aha uh-huh. I guess that is kind of a segue into the other topic. It even is, even though we don't have a whole lot of time. So I don't know. Do we want to? Yeah, I mean, scrape it. See. see yeah, where it we'll, goes. We'll, yeah, we'll. Yeah, we'll start a little bit. So, um, uh, we've. You know, we're always trying to think of different ideas of topics for us to bring on here to you guys that are beyond fishing, but also tie into fishing, and just you know, have a a more entertaining show. And just there's a lot of interest we have, so we like to talk about them. So uh we talk about nutrition a lot and we've talked a little bit uh recently about the cooking and stuff on uh one of the last episodes but I've been kind of digging down into that rabbit hole a, a bit more and kind of just you know and we're also always talking about what how we is where we came from and what we naturally would be doing and cooking is an area where that is like an extreme tie into the culture and everything. Right. So it's super immersive and you start looking into it and here in America, we have such a grand, horrible relationship with food and preparing it and, and the whole process of it all. And in the show and a few of the articles I was looking at, um, I don't have the statistics here or anything, but the amount that we cooked at home in 19, I think 65 compared to now is, or, oh, it was the time spent cooking is 20 minutes compared to an hour. So I do remember 20 minutes compared to an hour. So 20 minutes now compared to an hour then. And as we were talking about, kind of like the mindful aspect of it is when you are able to, and the salmon is a good example, and the brown trout and walleye for us it's like when you are able to be a part of that whole entire process, right you caught it, you butchered it, you prepared it, you cooked it, you ate it, enjoyed it, you got the energy from it, you used it, and then you know so on and so forth it's It's a much more enjoyable process. At least for me, I'm not saying that this is the case for everybody, but when you're cooking that fish, like you know everything that's happened and gone into it. So, uh yeah, and that's what a lot of my clients what, say. Yeah, and that's like what we've always done in the course of of humanity and we've just especially here gotten far away from it. So, it's like how do you How do you work that in more? And I I think as we talked about earlier on our car ride, it's like look into the diet that you do and what works for you and figure that out and then understand why. Understand why it's working for you and what aspects of it. And that does tie into the cooking of it as well because you can, you know, within your recipes and how you are doing things add in more nutrients and uh you know vitamins minerals with spices and so on and so right. forth yep. to more well round out like your diet and when you kind of take that responsibility on to do that you can like and we talked about this earlier as well it's like you're more aware of what you need and what like if you're gaining weight and you're not enjoying it how it's going then you know exactly what you need to do to come back down and so on and so forth and uh sorry i know i'm kind of just going on no what we're we're, we're here, part but, of what
0: you and i talked about yeah. though this in this connection to the food stuff is uh when you make a conversion okay it, is it, it it it's just there, there isn't enough wild game out there to accommodate human beings on this planet. So, but, but you should make it a priority every once in a while to see what it's all about to get your own. That's the first point that you're making either hunting it or fishing it and catching it. Like you should just see what that is because that's what we always used to do. Um, and I think it's a, it's important to reacquaint yourself with that primordial side of existence for all the things that you mentioned. It keeps you uh, better connected to your environment. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the general sense of of eating though it just goes back to a rule that you and I have have talked to a lot uh, about a lot is when you start eating like just whole stuff like yeah. animals mostly animals man like you know i would eat animals or eggs like, like things that come out of animals that should be like if that when that, when you when that becomes the base of of your diet and then you add in you know, uh, whatever vegetables you want here and there, like tubers or starch or whatever, but like things that come out of the ground, right? Whole things that come out of the ground or animals. When you start eating those and you cut out the highly processed stuff, it's going to feel like, uh, when you first cut that highly processed stuff out, it's going to feel like you're going through drug withdrawal, right? Now you yeah. might not know what with drug withdrawal feels like, and I understand that if you don't, uh, if, if you don't, if you haven't encountered anybody with uh, mental or physical addiction in your family or your life, you don't understand what it's like, right? But it I, it, it is that serious. I'm telling you, you will uh, when you are that call, that pang that you feel driving you towards eating that stuff. That's the same thing as being addicted to heroin or nicotine, or cocaine. It's the same draw. It's coming from the same spot in your head, and you, you have to fight it. And eventually, you'll just beat it, and then the, 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 it won't be there anymore. But you have to fight it, and I promise you that's what it is. Um, and people which think, I think I'm crazy, and they start going through, they get these withdrawal symptoms, and they think it's nuts, and you're, you're fucking crazy, Ryan. and like, yeah, that's what addicts say. Like that's what addicts say. Like my brother was an addict, man. He died of, of a heroin overdose. Like, they they come up with all kinds of, of, uh, of, of excuses, you know, and it's the same behavior pattern. Um, alcoholics, whatever, man, it's, it's, it's all this and you just have to be mindful of it. And that, that's what, it, it goes back to just questioning paradigms, man. Like, like, I'm, I I just read through this data of the the Lake Ontario stocking stuff and just asked the question. You know, um the same thing go should be going for anything that you're putting into your face. Mm-hmm. Or you know or or diets that you subscribe to or like a religion. Um we where you're missing it all for uh you're not being mindful. You're just you're yeah, you're, you're, take, s- you're taking something and carrying you're carrying the water for an idea that you didn't come up with, nor are you fully uh fully aware of how it
1: got there. yeah, you're accepting it without having any idea why you are and how it's affecting you, yeah, by accepting it exactly,
0: because most of the foods that we eat in the United States, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. like look we, we have a a food surplus here. The danger with the kind of food that we have, the danger is. Is that it's more like a drug than it's like food? Yeah, it's weaponized
1: with yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's not and, let's yeah, not yes, call nice. it weaponized uh, because
0: because that that implies that. Look, I I, I hear the point of yeah. um, companies uh, that like like food companies are optimizing the taste of their food to uh, compel people to buy more and more of it. That's just capitalism, man. That's yeah. that that's uh, like you, you could say that. Um, you know, um, that where it comes down to in my opinion is that people are looking for ways to absolve themselves of personal responsibility. Yeah. You know, like, look, you could you could judge capitalism for all you want. Like you're basically complaining about that. A, a food company is engineering a product to make it more and more compelling for you to eat. Why is that a complaint? So, you know, it's taking place. <laughs> be be conscious of yeah, the fact that sure. it's taking place. Is the thing healthy for you? And let's just define what healthy is. Like if somebody pulls a blood culture out, are do you have all the vitamins and minerals and stuff in your bloodstream that you should? Okay, is that healthy? I don't know what healthy is. Like we'd have to... Yeah, have to the, hit...
1: that's a whole other podcast. Right, but,
0: but, but my yeah. point is, is that people just throw things like this around. Yeah. Like I don't have a... Like I don't think the Western world has a problem because we have all these... Uh, super highly processed foods out there. I think we have a problem that our public isn't educated, isn't educated about the fact that they're addicted. And two, um, there people don't they don't want to accept responsibility for their behavior and so they're looking for a way to make somebody else culpable for it. Um, and there's a balance in there somewhere, but I tend to lean more towards, Assume personal responsibility. And if by now you don't understand that by eating lots of cookies and highly processed stuff, if by eating lots of those things, if you don't understand that that's bad for you, you live underneath a rock. You definitely know that it's bad for you. You can tell just by looking at yourself in the mirror that it's bad for you. And if it just keeps calling you, you have to understand that what's calling you is the same thing that calls a heroin addict or a meth addict or, 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 a cocaine addict. It's the same reptilian brain piece of addiction that's calling you. And you just got to beat that. Um, and the only way you're going to beat it is by exercising a lot and eating whole stuff and you'll get there. I think that covers the, the eating natural stuff where we were going with it. Cause
1: yeah, for the most part, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. Good wrap up for the, for the show. I think we, we can dive into other topics, uh, deeper at another time yeah, as well.
0: Cause we would, we definitely want to get into, uh, how we eat. Yeah. actually and actual like, cooking
1: and preparing and stuff yeah, as well. And then like,
0: like, uh, how reasonable it is to incorporate where we live, like the animals and fish yeah. run like the, in, into our
1: diets. But exactly. anyway, all right, well, I'll look, I look forward to that. Um, Everyone have a great week, and we are inching ever closer to the show. So not next week, but the week after, February 16th through the 19th. See you guys there. See you. If you want top-quality jigs and jig heads, look no further than JDO Lure Co. I offer a variety of jigs. If you love smallmouth, then the rig heads and swim bait heads are for you. Pair them with your favorite soft plastic and get ready to catch fish. If you love largemouth, I also produce top-notch quality skip-and-flippin' jigs, wire-tied, and with a custom bait-keeper. Made with premium gamagatsu hooks, powder coat finish to ensure durability, and each jig made by myself, by hand. Check out my lures on Instagram, at jdolureco, at jd underscore outdoors, 1773. You can also catch my stuff in action on my YouTube channel, JD Outdoors.